Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Predator Podcast. My name is Alistair McKenzie, the CEO of Predator, and uh, welcome to some great guests, some employees of Predator, um, newly joined to the company, Mr. Rick Norgate, uh, the managing director of Predator. Would like to introduce yourself, Rick. Hello, I'm Rick, as Al says. Glad to be here. First podcast for Predator. Very exciting. It is exciting, Rick, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, and also with me is the Chief Technology Officer of Predator, uh, Steve Miller. Hello. Uh, a previous guest on this podcast, and I'm sure he'll furnish us with lots of useful technical information. So thank you for joining us again, Steve. So uh, the purpose of the podcast today is we have just announced... Uh, the latest release of uh, Predator. It's version 11.2. doesn't sound like a very sexy name, but uh, officially it's codenamed Orca, uh, which is, uh, I think it's a predatory whale. So there's the theme. And so what we're going to do is talk about what's in 11.2 and what it means to you, uh, either the service provider, cloud service provider, or, well, anyone who's delivering data protection services, really. Um, so first of all, I want to just go into, you'll have noticed that there's been quite a lot of releases of Predator lately, and there's a reason for that. Uh, and so I'd like to just ask Rick as what he's trying to do in terms of the uh, the development cycle for Predator, and what his plans are uh, for 2020. Sure. So uh, thanks for that, Al. So one of the big things that we're looking to do going forward, and this is really to help all of our customers, is move away from our traditional releases, which were generally three to every three to six months, moving much more into agile DevOps. So what Steve's been leading over the last few months is a transition to that. Uh, and that's going to give us more regular releases. So for those of you familiar with Agile DevOps, the way Steve set his team up is basically working on weekly sprints. So they're working on smaller bits of functionality on a weekly basis. And then as a team, we review those every Friday. So we have a show and tell to look at progress. And then every six weeks, we'll do a smaller, more iterative release. Benefits of that are we can do more frequent releases, which helps customers. It means if we need to change priorities or we need to go in a slightly different direction, we've not committed six months worth of resource that we have to try and turn around and do something differently. Essentially, we can pivot our uh, pivot our strategy and the direction of the roadmap every six weeks if we need to. Benefits for customers means we can be much more reactive so we can move with your demands. We can give you smaller releases, which means less testing on your behalf, and you can get those in bite-sized chunks rather than kind of uh, trying to heat the, uh, eat the whole elephant every six months. You can do that with much smaller portions. And again, you know, it just means we can be much more reactive and we can keep up with the evolution, the kind of demands of the market, and we can pivot very quickly to make sure we're always at the forefront with our technology. So, Alex, something I'm really excited about. I know Steve is as well, and um, just can't wait till we start getting those releases out. I think the 11.2 is our first one in that agile world, isn't it, Steve? Yes. So 11.2 is um, next week, um, and 11.3 is planned for the end of January. Exciting. Steve doesn't seem as excited as you, Rick. Um, is that because he's having to work 24 hours a day to get these releases I out? I hide or? it well. <laughs> so, no, honestly, so what, what, why, why, I mean, Rick, I know you're new to the business. This is a big change, a big initiative yep. for you. Um, I mean, it sounds exciting. Uh, but I just want to unpack that a little bit, and there could be some downsides to it. So, you know, get some feedback from our listeners through the usual channels. But obviously, it doesn't mean that Steve's gonna, and his team is going to have to work 24 hours a day. You, what you've said is you're going to not go for the really store up quite so many features and functions and go for the big mega releases. You're just going to have little smaller yeah. uh, additions on a, on a much more higher cadence. So every yes. month. Um, just, just to set our customers at ease, 
our service providers who consume our product, um, are they going to be able to keep on top of it? How, how are they going to know about these new releases and, and how are they going to absorb that and become educated? So I think, you know, it's a really good question. Um, you know, moving to an agile world, um, you know, there's lots and lots of benefits. We've talked about a few of those already. Obviously, you know, the downsides are, and it's where you have to carefully manage it, is use the word cadence, Al. It's a really good word. You know, the cadence is quite high for the development team. So, you know, we have a responsibility uh, uh, to work with our developers and make sure we're not putting them under too much pressure because you are going faster when you're working in an agile DevOps world, but you're working on smaller bits of work. Um, so we use the term minimal viable product. So, you know, in the past, if we wanted to release a new feature, say we're looking at some more machine learning, we would probably built that end to end and spent months and months and months building that, which would have then taken months and months to test, you know, probably a month to document, then we'd have dropped that in one big release on a customer and expect them to get their head around all of that. Now we're going down the iterative or the agile route. It means we'll, when we look at things like machine learning, we'll do that in smaller bite-sized chunks, which is easier to test from our side because there's less to test, easy to document. The release notes will obviously be more succinct because it's on a smaller piece of functionality. And then when that does get released to customers, there's less for them to kind of test at their end and wrap their head around. And obviously we'll do release one of that. And then when release two comes out, we'll just build on that functionality gradually rather than storing it all up and doing it as one big release. So, you know, the benefits for the customer outside of speed and agility are it's just smaller amounts of work to look at rather than once every year having to spend a month getting yourself operationally ready with a new platform. It's just evolving constantly. And that drip, drip, drip means basically you don't have to take a month out and get to know a new release and understand what that means to you. Okay. It's just constantly growing yeah. with you. That, that makes sense, Rick. I was going to say, what do you... How I was going to say, I, about it, Steve? yeah. So I think from a customer point of view as well. So as well as not having an awful, you know, a massive release to get to grips with, one of the benefits is that you can start realising um, the new features much more quickly. So, you know, if we were working on a say, say a big piece of um, programming around Rick mentioned AI. So if we were going to work on a big feature around AI, and we knew it's going to take three or four months then the customer wouldn't see the benefit of that for three or four months, would they? So we'll be talking next April before they can actually realise any of the benefit of that, by which time they may find, you know, they may have moved on, the market may have moved on, it might not be quite as relevant. So if we can push out a smaller chunk in at January, they can see the benefit of that, start using that, um, and actually, you know, start getting into those features much more timely manner and start realizing the benefit of them earlier. I think it's it's a much more intelligent way to deliver product to our customers. And I know you've said, Steve, because I've had this before in other industries, where if you're working on big releases, mm -hmm. you know, they often get delayed, roadmaps get delayed. Yeah. Uh, when you're working on smaller six-weekly blocks, we'll always do release every six months. We won't delay it. Six weeks. Just might, uh, six weeks, yeah. beg your pardon, in the old old language there. But you know, we'll still do the six-weekly releases. There might be more or less in them depending where we are. So it gives customers a chance to get into that regular rhythm, knowing that every six weeks there will be a release. Yeah. Some will be bigger than others, some will be smaller. Yeah, and that's the other thing. It doesn't mean that we won't be, you know, we'll only be concentrating from now on on smaller features. What it means is that we'll be concentrating on more frequent releases, and some of those releases will have smaller improvements, uh, more granular improvements, and some of them might have bigger granular improvements, you know? So we might have several workflows going on at the minute. Um, we've got, you know, stuff that's going into 11.2. We've already got stuff that's down the line for 11.3. We might decide on something that we want to go into 11.4, but we'll be working on all of those streams at the same time so that, you know, it's not that we go, oh, that's a big piece of work. We can't possibly fit that into a six-week cycle. It's that we're going to be working on them all simultaneously. And I think the kind of final thing I'm excited about, Steve, 
believe, is you know, as we start to mature this process, because we've only been doing this for a couple of months now, you know, we do want to start to invite our customers and our users on board as part of that to get involved, feedback, get early, early visibility, and you know, really go through that process with us. So yeah. anyone who uses our product is invited to kind of input into that and kind of share and shape that vision going forwards, which you know, it's been hard to do when it's bigger releases. In an agile world, it's much easier to bring customers on that journey with you and get their valuable input. So really excited by that. So yeah. so what? Um, so for anyone listening who's a user of the product and they want to feedback, what are the channels that are available to them to uh, to give that sort of feedback? Is there anything that uh, they can they can do now? Yeah, so they could obviously log a request via Predator, or they can email. Yeah, they can email me directly for those that want to. I'm Rick at Silverstring.com or Rick at Predator.com. Okay, fantastic. Okay, well let's um, go into some of the uh, themes uh, in the 11.2 release. I mean, theme sounds like a big word given it's such an agile methodology, but. Broadly speaking, without going into too much detail at this juncture, um, what are the broad aspects that we're looking at in this particular release? Just, just give me the top two concepts, please, Steve. Um, well, recovery. Recovery um, theme, okay. Yeah, recovery. Um, um, sort of capacity analysis. Okay. Utilisation. Okay. So recovery... I mean, that's interesting you talk about recovery because, I mean, the number of times in my sales career when I've been talking to customers and they ask me things like, well, how fast can I recover this system? Uh, or I ask the question or the technical people say to me, I turn to my pre-sales person, I say, well, how fast can it recover? And, you know, the customer's waiting with bated breath and I'm crossing my fingers hoping they're going to say the right <laughs> thing. And invariably what happens is, well, it depends. Yeah. Uh, it depends on how big the system is, depends on what the data is, depends on the network and I know, it um, sort of reminds me if I'm about to jump out of an aeroplane for the first time and I turn to my parachute uh, instructor and I say, well, am I going to get to the ground okay? I don't want him to say it depends. Uh, well, it depends on who stitched your parachute. It depends on how fat you are and how much you weigh. Um, yeah, so is this going to help solve that problem, potentially, what we're doing here? Yes. Hey, <laughs> go on, Steve. You're gonna have to elaborate for us. So, I mean, so one of the things that's historically been in Predator is that we've um, we've interfaced with um, Spectrum Tech for VE, um, but with Predator 11, which came out ooh, a couple of months ago now, we've built a I think we call it a next generation client or a, a modern client, which basically can interact with more than one product, but it can do it via API calls. So, what that's allowing us to do is use Predator to interact with more products and perform more functionality um, and also this is partly how we're you know shortening that development cycle because we're using that next generation client so what we've got with um, Predator 11.2 is we're interfacing with Spectrum Protect Plus and we're using that to perform recovery of VMs that have been backed up with Spectrum Protect Plus um, and one of the features with Predator so you know you can do that with Spectrum Protect Plus anyway you can do those recoveries but one of the features with Predator is that we can set up recovery schedules so we can pre-configure a sandbox environment. Um, we can test regular recoveries of VMs that have been backed up using SPP via API calls. We can test randomized recoveries of VMs that have been backed up using um, Spectrum Protect Plus. And then we'll send out reports, letting you guys know, letting our customers know how those recoveries went. So that when you know someone in the business comes to you and says, 
well, it's great that you're backing up all these VMs, but how long is it going to take to recover them? You can just go to your report and say, here's the last documented recoveries of those VMs. Which one are you looking at? And you've got all that information there. So instead of having to say, you know, how long is a piece of string? Well, it depends which way the wind is blowing. You can say, well, it does depend on which way the wind is blowing, but here's the documentary evidence from the last time we tried it. Yeah. It's a much better answer. Yeah, that's certainty. Stops, uh, you know, no, no, nobody wants to be in a position where they're giving vague answers it makes them look you know uh well foolish by being vague but also foolish if they get the answer wrong so yeah, absolutely um if we can help alleviate that uh awkward situation then you know i think we're going to have a willing willing audience right yeah absolutely okay so recovery um and that's building on the the patent that's been uh recently awarded for the european markets um and that product has been developed over a number of years and, and, and the latest iteration is just to repeat uh, we've been able to do that for SpectraProtect for virtual environments, but we're going to be, uh, with this release, uh, enabling that for Spectrum Protect Plus. So for all those new SpectraProtect Plus users out there, uh, we now support the recovery orchestration. So that's great news. Um, okay, next theme. Is it um, uh, building on SpectraProtect, I guess, licensing and, and knowing how much of a product you're using so you can keep a track of uh, usage and costs? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So... Um, Again, it's to do with, I guess, a sort of multi-platform um, environment where you might be using more than one backup product. So over the last few years, we've developed a licensing module that looks at your Spectrum Protect um, utilization and you know looks at your, the number of VMs you're backing up, the amount of data you've got in your environment, the amount of data after um, data reduction, and basically tells you, how, you know, what your licensing exposure is with IBM. But with Spectrum Protect Plus, they've introduced a different way of doing it, IBM. So now we've got to cater for multiple scenarios. Um, and we know, you know, we, we know it's complicated. Um, and, you know, licensing has, IBM's done a lot of work over the last few years to try and make licensing simpler. Um, but it's the nature of the beast is that it's, it's complicated. So basically we've extended our licensing module now. So it looks at your multiple environments. So it will look at your Spectrum Protect environment. It will look at your Spectrum Protect Plus environment. And it just kind of rolls it all up into a report so you can see exactly what your exposure is. And, and, and Rick, I think you were telling me the other day that, you know, this concept of uh, your background as uh, in HR and payroll, it was all about, yes, you're in HR and payroll, but the, the delivery mechanism was one of subscription and pay-as-you-go and, and service. And and you're starting to see that uh, coming into the delivery of data protection back and recovery. So um, what you highlighted to me, which I thought was interesting, was, you know, we keep talking about our service provider customers. Well, I think you, what you were saying, the enterprise end user, the IT department, is no different. Isn't yeah. it? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I, I don't see a difference. So, okay. um, again, with my background in parallel and HR... It's, you know, it's very, very similar, actually, in many ways, more than I thought when I uh, uh, started to join this industry. So, you know, if you think about a managed service provider, they are providing backup and data protection to other organizations that are using their services. I don't see any difference between that and an internal IT department delivering backup and data protection services to their customers, which are just happen to be departments rather than third-party businesses. You know, when you boil it down, I think it's exactly the same. Um, obviously, just yeah, well, it is exactly the same. I, I really don't see a difference between them. It's either an external customer or an internal customer. It was the same with payroll. You know, uh, where I places I worked before, 
we either gave people the software to run it themselves. So, you know, a payroll team would run payroll for their internal customers, all of their employees, or they'd outsource that and use our technology. And then, you know, the company I used to work for would deliver payroll services to third-party businesses. Exactly the same process, exactly the same products, and exactly the same way of doing it. I think it's the same here with data protection. You're using the predator platform, delivering a service. So this second theme then around... Um understanding what assets have been used in a very granular way. Uh, what's the significance of that in terms of what's the problem that these customers face? I mean, are we talking about the fact that whether you're a, a large enterprise IT department delivering a service to your business application users or whether you're a MSP, CSP partner delivering to multiple customers, the thing you've both got in common is you've got a massive pressure on costs. You need to be uh, careful about managing those costs, particularly if you're invoicing somebody, you know, whether you're invoicing cross-charging departments or whether you're sending out invoices every month to a customer for the service. Um, I guess if you get that wrong, what's the, what's, the, what's the impact on customer satisfaction, Rick? Right, it's poor. I mean, nobody likes a nasty surprise. You know, happy customers generally get transparency and accuracy from their providers, whatever service you're getting. You don't want a nasty surprise. And, you know, obviously the industry that we're in, where you know things are based on the number of virtual machines you've got, the amount of data that you've got. If you can't track that accurately, you know at some point you'll get hit with extra costs that you weren't expecting. So that's you know when Steve started to show me these new screens that we've built, how we can see that all in one place. That just gives you that easy window into exactly what you've got. And if you use that in the right way, you can avoid those nasty surprises. Because and it, you know that's where we can look, and our providers that we're working with can look to go to. a True, pay as you go model if you want. So mm. rather than kind of having to use this phrase that I've heard a few times in the industry, true up at the end of a year, right. and potentially hit people with a big bill, mm-hmm. you can ju- you could actually pay as you go on a monthly basis smooth and pay out, for what you use. Smooth out the pain, yeah. Which if you think about modern SaaS, modern cloud, that's exactly how that works. You pay for what you use, yeah. not a penny more, not a penny less. So you think with this, it's just another uh, step in knocking down any barriers towards being able to deliver sort of back and recovery as a service. Uh, on, a, on a more granular method. In, in terms of why is it so difficult to deliver backup and recovery as a service? Maybe, Steve, you know, what is it about the nature of backup and recovery that makes it quite difficult to keep a track of stuff, particularly on a more granular, uh, short interval basis? Um, so, yeah. So, every, I mean, first of all, every customer is different. So, you know, that is that is kind of the, you know, that's first principles. Every customer's got different requirements. So you might have one customer that says, you know, I'm going to keep eight copies of my backups because if I need to go back more than a week, then my business is fatally compromised anyway. Okay. And you might have another com- customer who says, you know what, I got bitten once by not being able to recover a backup from 12 days ago. Ergo, I'm going to keep 365 days worth of backups. And each one of those customers, if they're doing backup as a service, there's different challenges. So on the first one, you've got to try and keep track of their um, storage because they're keeping that. Th- sorry, the second one they're keeping 365 days worth of backups, so that data is going to grow. So you need to work with that customer to make sure their capacity behaves itself. The second, the other one, the one that's only keeping eight days worth of data. Well, they're going to want to actually keep that data to a minimum. So you've really got to keep on top of theirs and make sure that they're not storing any more than they're anticipating. So it's you know those are just two examples, but every customer basically has different requirements, and it's all to do with the business needs. You know, the business might dictate, this is how long we're going to keep our copies for. Ergo, that's what we want from you, Mr. Supplier. And, you know, as a backup, as a service provider, you've just got to respond to that, whether you're internal or external. And can, can, I, can I just do an example? So if we're billing every month, mm-hmm. do, 
how do you take the point of, of the what the backup is at the end of the month, or, or is it more granular than that? Uh, so yeah, so I mean historically there has been with um, backup um, company providers that sort of thing where you just basically look at the point in time at the end of the month and say this is where we are. You know that's how much data you've got at the end of the month. Ergo, that's your licensing exposure. Mm-hmm. What we've been doing over the last few years is building functionality to look at an average so that you know you can't have that situation whereby someone might just throw a load of data into the system at the end of the month or indeed delete a load of data at the end of the month you know it's not a true representation so part of the backup as a service piece is that you take those data points during the month so that you've got an absolute um, you know understanding of where they were on each day and then you work out that average and then you use that as the uh, as the way to look at the actual data capacity, data utilization, and that doesn't preclude you from offering an option, sort of some sort of burst option that says, you know, yeah. this is your median, but you can burst above it, or you can burst up to this maximum, or something like that. Absolutely. I mean, if you're offering as a service, you've got to be able to cope with an increase in capacity. Yeah. So you know, if if someone suddenly says, you know what, I've got a really big backup that I want to send in, and I only want to keep it for two weeks, well, the beauty of that sort of usage based system is that you can send it in. You can, you know, your average will go up for those two weeks, and then once you've satisfied yourself that you don't need that data anymore, you can delete it, and you're not going to be paying for it just because it was there at the end of the previous month. Okay, okay. Well, um, so two big themes. Uh, one is helping service providers, whether they're end users or channel, um, to be able to give certainty around the ultimate outcome of backup. In other words, can I restore? And if I can restore, how quickly can I restore? That's the main theme. It seems to be coming out of this 11.2 release and then the second one is around this enablement of being able to uh, cross charge or invoice uh, on a more frequent very granular method mm-hmm. um, it's probably going to sound a bit oxymoron but is, is there time if you're doing a monthly release to have a one more thing is there any other smaller features or things going into this release there are some other things under the covers so there's there's increased reporting. Um, every time we do a release of Predator, then we'll throw more reports in or more alerts in. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's got more reports for Spectrum Protect Plus. So, you know, it's, it's a product that we built reports and alerts for probably a couple of months ago now. Um, and we've been basically, every time we do a new release of Predator, we throw, uh, you know, a couple more reports in based on what our customers are looking for. And that's what's in this one. There's, I think there's a couple more SPP reports. Um, and there's probably a few more alerts as well. But again, based on things that our customers are looking for, customers that are using Spectrum Protect Plus and what they, you know, what sort of functionality they're looking for in Predator. Fantastic. Okay, Steve, Rick. Um, okay, well, let's uh, close out the show, uh, this episode anyway. Um, so what we're talking about is uh, quick... Uh, intro into what you can expect in the 11.2 release which as I say will be released the week of the 15th of December so it's an early Christmas present for you Um, and the key takeaways from today are you're going to be seeing a lot more releases a lot more frequently every month a lot of pace going into 2020 so hold on to your hats and um, the the major features are around recovery um, invoicing licensing and more reports and for Spectrum Tech Plus. So I hope you like the new release. Uh, as Rick said, give us your feedback. And all that's left for me to do is to, from all at Predator, uh, to wish you a happy Christmas and a Merry New Year. So we look forward to speaking to you again in 2020. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you.